Welcome to the Opinionated Optimist Podcast, the podcast that reviews anything that's worth reviewing. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Opinionated Optimist Podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Tonight's special guest is actor Mark William McCullough. Welcome to the uh, program. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. And no problem. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had Anthony Vance Pierce on. And he had nothing but great reviews of, um, about you. I said, you know, you're a great professional and love working with you. Um, can you tell a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Um, you know, I grew up in Savannah, Georgia. And, uh, you know, I did not grow up as someone who was interested in the entertainment world. Uh, you know, I was from a family that just worked hard, did blue collar jobs and uh, went to college and had to take an elective. And uh, my choice was art history or acting. And I was pretty sure I'd fail art history. So I took acting and fell in love with it. But I didn't learn how to uh, turn that love of acting into a career. So after college, I ended up going to law school in DC and got out and started doing a job that I hated. <laughs> got in a really bad car accident on a trip to Nicaragua and it kind of opened my eyes. And, and you know, I, I realized you live once, you have to do what you love. And so right. when I came back to the States, I quit my job, moved to LA and, and started uh, working towards this crazy, crazy career. So what kind of uh, training did you have to do to get into the acting field? You know, I did, a, I did a degree in theater in college, but I'll be honest, that was not overly helpful. Uh, for film and TV. I had to unlearn a lot of things I learned uh, on stage. I think you know, theater can be a wonderful a wonderful underpinning for a film and TV uh, career, but you have to learn how to make the transition. Uh, once in LA, I took a ton of acting classes. Uh, many of them were not super helpful. It wasn't until I started working with a working actor uh, who actually taught me the ins and outs of how to, you know, what was important and what was not important and how to actually book jobs. Uh, that's when I started my career. But I, I spent years studying with all kinds of folks and I studied every major type of acting. And, and it's funny because what I learned from this this guy who you know made his, his living as an actor was how simple acting is if you let it be. And um, I kind of embraced that. And uh, that really made a huge difference and, and got me started uh, booking professional work and got me started on my path. Okay. Now, I know acting, it takes a lot of uh, determination. So how do you deal with the possibly hearing no? Do you just keep at it or what's your advice to actors? Yeah, I mean, if it's your calling, if it's something that you love, uh, you have to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I spent many years going through what I call the ramen noodle years because it was brutally hard and I didn't know what I was doing and I was just struggling like crazy. And, but the thing is, I loved it. I loved every second of it. If I did a little student film or short film, I loved doing it. So I always tell new actors, number one, you got to love acting. You got to love the process because, you know, it usually takes a long time to see success. And uh, you now have family members or friends who see, they see the benefits of a successful acting career. They see the movies and the TV shows and the red carpets and that kind of thing. And, that, and that's, that's fine. But you got to love the journey. And so for me, I just kind of understood that anything in life worth getting uh, requires time and effort and focus. And so I just, it never occurred to me to stop trying. And, okay. uh, you know, I was very lucky that, you know, I, I just had folks in my life and, and mentors who taught me that when you're hit with something hard, you just stand back up and hopefully learn from it and keep moving forward. Now, was there any role like you thought you had for some reason the director said you weren't right for? 
Oh my God. Yeah. We could talk for hours about those. Uh, <laughs> I was, you know what I mean? Like I, uh, especially when I first got started, you know, the point I'm at now in my career, I, I understand that there's so many, there's so many things that go into casting that have nothing to do with you. Um, and, and because I'm a filmmaker, I'm a director and I, and I, I've, you know, cast lots of actors and projects and you realize there oftentimes there's many great actors for a particular role, but you might need someone who has a certain essence or a certain hair color or a certain height. And there's nothing the other actors can do to change that. It's just what it is. So, uh, I just don't take it personally. Uh, you know, I just, uh, uh, I just enjoy it, you know, I just enjoy every part of it. But as far as like, as far as roles, I mean, gosh, uh, you know, every time I do an audition, I think to myself, well, I'm perfect for this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's the only way to do your audition. But I don't even, I don't spend any time worrying about it. Once I send my auditions in, which now the vast majority of auditions are self-tapes, I send them in. And then when I get an email or call from my agents or managers telling me I booked, um, a lot of times I have to go back and watch the audition because I don't even remember what I auditioned for. Okay. I just, I just uh, my job, the way I look at it, my job is to run my business. And my business is to offer my product to people who can buy it. And I do that all the time. And then when I book a job, I look at that as vacation. Because when okay. I go to set and I'm working on camera with great actors, what have you, there's nothing work about that for me. That's just fun. The okay. work is the daily grind, doing the auditions, doing the marketing, doing the research. That's the hard part. The getting on sets, the easy part. Okay. Now, how would you compare the Savannah or maybe in Georgia, Atlanta film industry compared to the West Coast? Well, there's no comparison. I mean, Atlanta has many more film productions and TV productions than LA. Uh, Atlanta is the busiest market in North America. Okay, I didn't know and, that. Yeah, by far. And so... Now, I don't work only in Atlanta. I, mean, I work all over the country and all over the world. But you know, I always tell new actors, you know, they, they want to go to L.A. And I get it because I was the same way. But you go to L.A., you have a million people pursuing acting and fewer jobs. Right. In the Southeast, you know, that particular market, you probably have 15,000 actors who are, you know, serious about acting. Yet you have more jobs available. So it's just it's, it's smart business sense here. It's just a lot easier. I, I've had lots of... Uh, LA friends who are actors visit me here in Savannah where I live and uh, move here very quickly thereafter because they realize the lifestyle is better and the work opportunities are greater. Yeah, I definitely say, I mean, the cost of living here too is incredible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Can you tell the audience some of the films you've been in they may have seen you in? Sure. Uh, I was in Ron Howard's Hillbilly Elegy. I was in uh, Steven Soderbergh's Logan Lucky. I was in uh, uh, Doug Lyman's uh, American Maid. Um, you know, it kind of goes through periods. Sometimes I'll book a lot of films and sometimes I'll book a lot of TV. Um, you know, I did uh, the season of The Walking Dead. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I was in Sweet Magnolias on Netflix, uh, LA's Finest, uh, shut that out in LA, Swamp Thing. Uh, I'd say pretty busy. I, you know, just uh, just did a show for Fox called Panhandle. Uh, getting yeah. ready to start a new Amazon Plus show, uh, uh, Amazon TV Plus that, uh, it's going to be a really, really fun project. Can't really talk about it, but uh, it should be a blast. And uh, I'm in a uh, Netflix show that I can't say the name of, but it'll be coming out soon that uh, that uh, should be a great show. Yeah, I've heard a lot of actors in the area have been in Panhandle. So I'm hoping yeah. that's going to be a big thing for the area. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah, they also they, they got to keep it hush hush. But I'm hearing like it's like a possibly like a Stranger Things ish show. Uh, I can't wait to see that one. Mm-hmm. It's a fun show, you know. It's uh, it's got a little comedy to it. You know, it's a little uh, police procedural in some ways with some fun quirky stuff going on. Uh, I got to play a uh, uh, a prisoner, a convict that is uh, accused of murder. Uh, so it was fun. Had a lot of yeah. had a lot of great times on set. And actually, interestingly. The director of the episode of Panhandle that I worked on was the co-showrunner of LA's Finest uh, that I'd done in LA a couple of years ago. And it just reminds me how it is such a small business. You know, uh, I run a, I run to the same people all the time, whether when I was doing a film uh, a couple of years ago in Kentucky um, and uh, walk into the into the wardrobe trailer and run into a wardrobe art, you know, wardrobe uh, person that I know from LA. It's, it's, it's a very small business. Okay. Now, are there any roles that are your favorite or is it all any work is just worth it? Some are, you know, I love all of them, right? I've, I've never not had fun on a film or TV show. Uh, probably the one I had the most fun, though, was American Made. Uh, you know, as a kid, I loved Tom Cruise mm-hmm. and I got to play his co-pilot in, uh, in the film. And we shot for a month in Atlanta. Then we shot for almost a month in South America and then another couple of weeks in uh in New Orleans, and you're just getting to sit next to him in an airplane, uh, you know, for tw- I was, you know, gosh, 12 hours a, a day. Uh, it was great spending time with him, and, and all the flying scenes, he actually flew the planes. Right. And uh, so I remember at one point, we were, we were in the C-134 Vietnam-era uh, military plane, and uh, it's just me and him and, the, and the, uh, the camera operator behind us, and we go down the runway, and the plane picks up in the air and I just remember looking over and thinking I'm in the plane being flown by Maverick yeah, I was about to ask that, yeah. <laughs> you know and it was just uh it, I got to work with Nicolas Cage on a film playing his like second command I, I play those roles a lot like I play a lot of intense violent kind of characters usually and I did this movie called um, Arsenal and he was playing a mafia guy I was playing like his violent enforcer and you know I remember seeing um uh gosh what was it uh one of his first was comedy. I can't remember the name of it now. Oh, but, uh, Arizona, possibly? Yes, Raising Arizona. And then like Face Off and The Rock and Connie are like, I loved those films as a kid. So getting to spend time with him and work with him on the movie, you know, for me, it's like, it was literally like a childhood dream come true. Right. Um, and I've had a lot of those experiences where I just got to work with actors that I loved as kids or as a kid. And, um, but yeah, American Made, you know, I got to fly planes and travel around the world. Uh, so yeah, it was, that was an absolute blast. So when you're next to big stars like that, do you have to pinch yourself or are you just able to know you're at work, get in the role and do your job? You know, I, I teach acting classes and I tell my students, it's fine to be a fan of actors when you're not on set. When you walk on set, you are a colleague. Okay. And uh, so that just disappears. When I get into a scene with an actor, I don't care who it is. I'm there to work. Okay. And speaking of Nick Cage, have you seen this new one, The uh, Unbearable Weight of a Massive Talent? Or he becomes Nick Cage in the movie. You know, I have not seen that, but I heard uh, heard interesting things about it. That movie is incredible. And uh, yeah, I would recommend you see it because I'd like to see what an actor says because he just breaks the wall. And uh, but the guy that plays the Mandalorian, I forgot his name, uh, from Narcos. Yep, yep. I know like, you're yeah, he, uh, he is like the comedy sidekick, but it just gives Nick Cage the ability to overact every scene. So yeah, you, he just has so much fun with it. It's such an enjoyable experience. You can tell he had the time of his life. That's cool. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely recommend that one. 
Uh, so do you feel, I mean, I know you said you did the same characters a lot. Do you ever feel typecast it or, you know, hey, it's just work and it keeps the uh, the bills paid? I'm a big proponent of branding for actors because we are a product. And uh, if I say the word Coca-Cola, Mercedes, Walmart, Gucci, images come to your mind because right. those those brands, you know, they, they've worked hard to create that sensation in your, in your, in your, in your mind. Uh, so I talk about typecasting a lot and the definition of typecasting, typecast, is to be repeatedly cast in a role that's similar due to your essence or work you've done in the past. And what I like about that, that sentence is the word repeatedly cast. Right. And um, so even though roles are similar, there's a similar essence, uh, they're still different. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, I was doing a show in LA. I was a Bad Boys uh, TV spinoff, Jessica Alba. Uh, and I was playing this like intense, you know, uh, mafia drug cartel enforcer who's been driven around a $300,000 uh, uh, Rolls Royce ghost. Finish that up, jump on a plane, fly to Wilmington, North Carolina to work on Swamp Thing, where I'm playing this backwoods, you know, violent redneck. Jump on a plane from there, fly to Ukraine to uh, do this movie about the uh, the guy who took the iconic Tank Man photo during the Tiananmen Square massacre in China okay. back in '89. And what's interesting, I looked totally different in, in those three projects. They were all shot back to back, but all they did was change my clothes and you know mess my hair up for some, or you know, right. comb it for others. And what I find is they're totally different, but when you watch them, you see the underlying energy is the same in all of them. Um, and that's what I've learned to embrace. I bring me my natural uh, stuff. I call it my magic. I bring it to every role. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm going to find, you know, for me personally, the, William Mark McCullough, if I'm, if I'm hanging out with my niece getting ice cream, you're going to see certain parts of my personality come out. But if we're walking down an alleyway and some dude steps out to uh, threaten us, uh, you're going to see a very different part of my personality. And I look at acting the same way. I, I just bring myself to the scene or the character of the movie or TV show, but the circumstances that I'm playing in are going to highlight different parts of my personality. Okay. Uh, you know, so it's, it's much easier than what I used to do when I first got started. I, I worked really hard as an actor when I started. And, you know, I do a five-page backstory for a three-line audition. And I don't do all that stuff anymore. I just let my personal experience and my uh my loves my hates my you know all the things that make me unique i let that come through and in whatever whatever role that i'm doing so do you feel like uh, the uniqueness brings more lifeness or more identifiable <clears throat> identifiable characters that way absolutely i think it brings truth like one of the things i do when i'm teaching class is you know i'll, I'll give students a little tiny you know, role that's called FBI agent number one. And I'll send them out and have them come in one at a time and do the scene. And invariably, 95% of them will do some, you know, iteration of an FBI agent that they see in a movie or TV show. And it feels fake and it feels uh, derivative. Okay. And I tell them, don't play some BS fake FBI agent idea. Play you and you happen to be an FBI agent. And when you see them make that change, it brings the character to life. It brings okay. a little nuances and magic and spark versus, uh, you know, again, I play characters that are not like me. I and mean, I play a lot of really violent, mean people, but I bring depth and humanity to them by letting the real me shine through. So with the, you know, putting yourself in the character, are you ever afraid of losing yourself in the character? I am not because it's make-believe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I played a, 
I worked with the Leah Shawcat a couple of years ago in a film in LA where uh, I was playing a Nazi SS officer who was tasked with hunting down and killing Jewish children. I can't think of a more reprehensible role. Right. Um, but as soon as they call cut, it's a it's make believe. You know what I mean? It's, it's no different than a seven year old playing playing make believe with their friends. Like it's not real. And I think people who kind of get caught up in that and can't make distinctions between reality and make believe, uh, that's a dangerous place to be. Um, so no, I, I I have no problems whatsoever turning it off. Okay. Yeah, because I've always heard stories like Val Kilmer when he did the Doors, he was. Uh... Uh, Morrison for years and years afterwards he just couldn't <clears throat> reset you know yeah I mean I hear the stories too uh, I look at someone like Brian Cranston who I think is amazing uh, oh yeah I read, I read stories that he'd be on the set of Breaking Bad and he's you know telling a telling a joke to a crew member and they're going okay roll sound roll camera and he'd be mid-joke and they'd say action and he'd do this super intense emotional powerful scene and they call cut and they look over and finish his joke and that's the kind of actor I want to be because, you know, I've worked in the past with, with actors who, you know, they call cut and they have to go off the corner and cry and play some music. And that teach their own. But as a producer and a filmmaker, I want an actor who can show up, do the job, do it efficiently and move on to the next scene. Right. Because I heard stories like even back when uh, Denzel Washington was doing Malcolm X, Spike Lee would say, you know, action. They do the scene. When they said cut, it was like Denzel didn't know where he was at. He like blacked out and became somebody different, like a different personality when he did the role. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, just very, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it happens. Here's the other thing that I know. A lot of stories are made up. I don't know if that one is, but, you know, studios tell a lot of stories. Like, for instance, I've worked with a lot of A-list actors, and I know what they do to prepare for scenes because I've been sitting there with them for weeks or months at a time. And then I'll see them on Inside the Actor Studio, <laughs> and they'll talk about the process, and they just make it up. Right. Uh, I think that a lot of actors, uh, again, I'm not saying it's about Denzel. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Denzel, but I think a lot of actors want to make the fans think that what they do is really, really difficult and complicated and complex. And at, a, at its core, it's not. Right. I mean, we all we all play make-believe when we're children. And sure. I think it's just re, it's re-tapping into, into that childhood playfulness that allows us to, uh, to be good actors. And, sp- and long-term, you want to be a healthy actor. You know, I think if you're, you're getting lost in a character so deeply that you don't know who you are. I mean, I'm sure people do it. Um, I just don't think that's probably super healthy long-term. Right. And I guess also too, it helps that we live here, LA, they kind of don't get away from the, the industry either. They're always constantly in, living their, their life, basically the Hollywood actor, big, you know, big star kind of movie star thing. Well, I mean, there's certainly, I mean, if you're a big star, your life is different no matter where you are, but you know, like I, I'm immersed in, in the acting world, the film world all day long, every day. I'm either working on films, you know, pitching films, auditioning, going to set. Um, but still, it's like at the end of the day, uh, it, it's just make believe, you know. Right. And, and I don't think, uh, you know, I've seen actors who, who, you know, they're method actors and, you know, they do all the stuff that method actors do. And I don't think the performances are any better than someone who doesn't do all that stuff. Right. Um, but, you know, teach their own. You know, I always say to actors, like, whatever works for you, do it. Now, do you ever feel a role is too small or any work worth it? Well, you know, when you're, it depends on where you're at in your career. Like, obviously, when I remember when I started out, one line on a TV show as, you know, uh, Boy Next Door number two would thrill me. <laughs> I mean, like, it, 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 because I was excited. But obviously, as you move up in your career, uh, you naturally do bigger and bigger roles. I don't think there's any, like every role is important. You know, if, if you have a movie and 
you have a character that's got two lines, but they suck, that hurts the movie. So all right. the roles are important. But yeah, from a from a business perspective, as you're moving up the levels of this industry, yeah, you have to like be mindful of what you're playing because you you don't want to get known as an actor who just plays little tiny you know co-star roles. Uh, right. You want to you know so yeah, there's a lot of roles that I won't do. However, having said that, you know there there are exceptions like uh, the Netflix show that, that I have coming out next month. Uh, I literally reached out to my agents and managers and said, "Hey, I don't care if it's one word, get me on the show because I love it. Yeah, I love the right. show, and so I just want to be on." Um, you know, there there's certain actors. Uh, I just did a film in Chicago. I mean, it was the lead, but even if, if it weren't the lead, I would have done it because there's an actor in the movie that I just really love his work and I wanted to work with him. So there's exceptions to everything, but you know, there's certainly no such thing as a, as an unimportant acting role. Right. But um. You know, yeah, I mean, as, as if, after you've been doing this for a long time, you're making a living at it, it's your business. Uh, yeah, you just naturally are going to do bigger, more substantial roles because it, I just wouldn't have fun doing a little one or two liner because you know, just uh, it wouldn't be very exciting for me, right? Now, I know you mentioned you know, taking a role to work by a big actor. Are there like your bucket list of actors to work with that you haven't had a chance to yet? You know, uh, there, there's so many great actors. I mean, to be honest with you, the actors that, I, that tickle me are the ones that I loved as a little kid. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. No, no one jumps to mind. Uh, but uh, I've had fun with, with, so many, with so many actors. Uh, but, you know, especially like TV, you get a lot of newer actors, you know, younger actors. Uh, you know, I love working on TV, but the actors don't tend to excite me as much because right. I don't have that connection to my childhood. But for me, it's usually just the ones that I love when I was a little kid are the ones I'd love to, you know, love to okay. work. Now compared to movies, uh, TV, so you said it's just not the same or is it just not big spectacle compared to movies? Oh, it totally depends. I mean, LA's finest was, uh, it was the most expensive pilot that year, which was in 2019 when we shot that. Uh, I think it was a gosh, $7 million pilot. So it just totally depends. I mean, TV, obviously, if you're not a serious regular, you're coming in as a guest to all these folks who know each other and have been working together sometimes for six months. Okay. Film, it's a little different because if you have a, a bigger role in a film, you're all showing up about the same time and you're finishing about the same time. So it's, it's a little easier to like get to know everybody and kind of, I think, jail. But, uh, you know, like Panhandle, I came in and worked on the last episode of the season. So those and they're all very, very nice, very friendly people, but they'd all been working together for months. You know? right. So there's differences with that. Um, but from a from a just ex experiential perspective, uh, it's not really very different for me. You know, there's cameras, there's actors. It's my job to go play make believe. Uh, you know, there are differences in pay. There's differences invisibility you know what i find is there's some streaming platforms like netflix i always know when i have a project hit netflix because i'll get you know a hundred messages on social media from people that i don't know saying right. oh my god i just saw you in such and such and that doesn't happen when i have a movie come out to theaters like it just many fewer people see things in theaters and the same thing with like you know if i have something come on fox or cbs it feel i feel like fewer people see it or at least fewer people reach out to me than when it hits uh, a streamer like Netflix. Well, since you mentioned streaming services and all, you know, the last couple of years with COVID and all, services like HBO Max have got uh, movies out there a lot quicker than they usually would. Do you, one, fill the 
go to the theater experience might go away? And does it actually benefit the smaller actor, smaller director, making it easier for their film to get to the public with these streaming services? Well, I mean, for one thing, right now, there's more opportunities for actors than any time in history. You know, there's so many outlets for TV and film on all these various streaming platforms. It's harder to become famous. You know, in okay. 1980, there were three networks. If you were on a Friday night you know, show at 8 p.m., a third of the country saw you. Right. Now you can be in a, in a top 10 TV show that gets 3 million viewers. That's less than 1% of the population. So it's just harder to break out, I think, as a TV actor. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I don't think theater's ending. I think it will probably change a little bit. Uh, I, I think it is. I mean, I have a movie that uh, I wrote and directed that's hitting theaters October 28th called A Savannah Haunting. Uh, but the great thing about the streaming services is there's a lot of independent films that in the past would have had a hard time getting distributed, a hard time getting people to watch them. And now, you know, even little small baby budget movies can get on Amazon Prime and have a, a, a nice audience, you know, nice audience size. Uh, so I don't think, I think with, with theater, you're going to always see the big budget kind of spectacle film that's fun to watch in theaters. Right. I think they'll probably cater more to you know, IMAX and the, you know, big cushy seats and the, maybe the restaurant or bar, you know, as a part of the theater experience. So I don't think it's going away, but yeah, more and more and more works going directly to streaming. Okay. Now, so there's still a lot of film festivals out there too, for the little guy to get noticed still. Well, there's a lot of film festivals, a lot of film festivals that grow every year. The getting noticed part, you know, I mean, I think it's debatable. Uh, I think still, there's 10 festivals in the world that make a huge impact on, on, you know, if your film gets into them, they get a lot of, a lot of buzz. I think most film festivals, that's not the case. I think it's a good experience. You know, people can get the film in. I mean, our film played at festivals all over the world and we had a blast going to them. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's just a way to kind of build a little media buzz, but you still got to get distributed if you want a wide audience to see. Right. Now, have you ever done any work for the Savannah 48 hour film festival too, or no? I, I'm a judge. Like I'm going to be a judge this year. I've judged. I've judged them four or five times. But you know, the 48 is is really wonderful for folks that have filmmaking or acting as a hobby, or young folks who are new to the business or want to kind of cut their teeth and and have a fun time doing it. It's not really a place for professionals to work. You know, it's it, it's they do a, an amazing job making short film in 48 hours. But right. you know, that's very different. Like you know. I make my living doing this stuff. So I, I don't have time to, to do that kind of thing, but it is a cool concept. And I think I've, I've met lots of people who did it and have a blast. And I met a lot of people who their very first experience, either as a filmmaker or as an actor or a crew member was on a 48 hour project. So I do think it's a good way to like uh, kind of a stepping stone into the business. And I do have really a great time judging them because I know how hard it is to make a movie and to do one in 48 hours is insane. Yeah, because don't they mean they don't they cast, write, and do everything costumes all in forty hours, right? Everything they get the uh, uh, buddy of mine named Anthony Paderewski runs the one here in in Savannah, and uh, yeah, he hands out the uh, like the theme of the of the movies on a, I don't know if it's a Saturday or whatever day they hand it Friday afternoon, <laughs> and they have to do everything: cast it, write it, shoot it, edit it, put sound everything in forty eight hours. So. Like I said, as a judge, it's really cool to see the the really wonderful jobs they do in such a short period of time. Right. Uh, I it's kind of like this. Like I love playing chess. I do not like playing speed chess. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be the same way for me filmmaking. There'd be too many 
there'd be too many sacrifices due to the time I'd have to make that would make it not fun for me. Right. Like you said, Lisa said, it gets those young kids from SCAD some exposure or something on the reel to start getting Yeah. In. And just the experience, you know, I, mean, I think a big part of getting started is just doing something. And, you know, you get it done. There's only a two-day commitment of time. And you can see, because here's the thing, there's some people work on a film set and go, this sucks. I don't like this at all. And I think that's a good place to kind of do it and short films and student films and things like that to kind of get a taste of it before you make it like a serious, you know, career path. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think the 48 is a wonderful opportunity for a lot of folks. Okay. Um, so you said get out there getting it done. Uh, what's the first hurdle to get over? The ability to not take no for an answer or not to be afraid of rejection? Well, you know, I reject the term rejection as an actor, okay. number one. So, yes, the number one thing you must embrace to be successful uh, as an actor long term is don't stop. Harrison Ford has a story that you know, he moved to LA with, you know, 25 folks all about the same time. They're in acting classes about the same time. And uh, folks asked him, well, you know, why did you make it? And they didn't. And he said, because they went home. And, you know, now obviously it's a little different because you can live anywhere and be an actor with, with technology, but it's the idea of just keep working. Now the rejection thing I don't buy because, you know, we're presenting a product to a buyer that they want to fit that product into their into their film or TV show. And if you're the right product with the right experience, they'll use you. And if you're right. not the right one, they shouldn't use you. It's not that you're rejected. You're just, they don't need you yet. You know, right. there's been plenty of times. I mean, gosh, most TV shows that I've worked on, not all, but most, I did multiple auditions before I booked the show. And it's like, they liked me, but they're like, ah, oh, but he's not right for this role. Let's try him in this role. Ah, oh, he's not right. And they keep trying. Like, I know The Walking Dead, gosh, I did probably 20 auditions for that show before I finally booked it. Oh, wow. Yeah. To wrap it up, um, what advice would you give any beginning actors that want to get in the industry? Well, a couple pieces of, of important advice. Number one is take advice from people who are successful. Okay. Uh, you know, the biggest issue I see is new actors taking advice from other people at the exact same level as them who have no idea what they're doing. And so they okay. end up spending so much time and energy on wasted movement. So always get get training, get advice, get mentorship from someone who is further up the path than you are. That'd be the first thing. The second is figure out what it is that makes you, you and embrace it. I think so many actors have this idea that they're not enough. And so they need to do something special to stand out auditions, something special to get noticed. And all they have to do is bring themselves to the role. And that will make you special because no one else is like you. Uh, And then of course, you know, be kind, be thoughtful, be grateful. Because, you know, I, I witnessed Tom Cruise on set. That dude was kind to everyone. Yeah. I, I have no doubt why he's a superstar at whatever he is in his 60s. It's because people want to work with him. Right. And if you're a jerk and you treat people poorly, uh, your career won't last very long in most cases because people don't want to deal with that. You know, right. I think uh, if, you, if you get in the habit of treating the craft services PA and the star and the executive producer and the director exactly the same, you'll go far. Right. Yeah, it's a good advice because I mean, I mean, I, I work at a hospital. My my dad always taught me, you know, be the same way to your boss to the person that cleans the floor. They're mm-hmm. human. They put your pants on just like we do, you know, and that doesn't yeah. make you better because they, they clean the floor. Absolutely. I mean, well, first of all, with a film, there's no unimportant job. You know, it's like with, with acting, there's no unimportant acting role. If, if the craft services PA, 
you know, stumbles in their job that day, it's going to affect the shoot. Everybody's job's important. And also the person who is the PA today in three years could be the director of the film, right. the producer of the film. And this business is crazy and people get catapulted to the highest levels. But you should just be kind to people to be kind to people. It's the right thing to do. But um, the other thing is just work hard. And that's the biggest issue I see is people, you know, they like the idea of being an actor, but they don't like the work. And right. if someone were to ask me, Mark, do you want to be a, an astronaut? I'd say, hell yeah, I want to be an astronaut. But if you ask me, do you want to get a PhD in engineering and go into the Navy and learn how to fly? And uh, No, I don't want to do any of that stuff. Yeah. I think it's a lot like that with acting. People want to be an actor, but what they really want to be is famous and right. carpet and have the pictures taken, right? They don't want to do all of the struggles. And I'll say this, like if I had never figured out the business, and I'm very grateful I did, but if I had not, and I just remained in LA doing, you know, short films and student films and low budget films, I hope no one ever saw, <laughs> I still would have had fun because I loved acting. Right. And that's the key. You got to love it. Okay. Well, I thank you for doing the podcast. This has been a great interview and uh, I'll have you on any other time you want to be on. Uh, I know you said the Savannah Honey is coming out um, until September. October 28th. Okay. Um, maybe we have you back on then. We can talk about it when you can talk about some details, if that's fine with you. That sounds great. All right. Well, thank you, sir. And you have a good night. You do the same, buddy. Bye-bye. Well, everyone, that wraps up this episode. I would like to thank William Mark McCullough one more time. You were a great interview. Thank you for taking the time out for your very busy schedule. And until next time, have a good night. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe so that you may get all future episodes. Like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching for The Opinionated Optimist.